For this first episode, I will be focusing on COVID-19 in prisons. Bet you thought that the first episode was probably going to focus on quote-unquote free people. However, we can no longer ignore the fact that there's a disproportionate amount of Black people in prison. I bet you knew that the United States had the most coronavirus cases in the world, but did you know that the United States of America, land of the free, home of the brave, has not only the highest number of COVID-19 cases, but the largest incarcerated population in the entire world. Did you know that about 2.3 million people are incarcerated in prisons and jails in the U.S.? That is a 500% increase in the last 40 years. 500%. What you also may not realize is that about 6.5 million individuals are under some form of daily correctional supervision. This includes probation and parole. Black inmates matter. Stop depending on black people to fit a stereotype in order for them to matter to you. Open your mind and understand that COVID-19 is not just impacting black people with privilege, or rather, the illusion of freedom. Stop neglecting our systemic and systematic oppression. Stop ignoring the connection between our oppression and this country's history of slavery and the current prison system. This is Decolonizing Science. If you listen, we are listening. No more friction. Take a seat. We are driven with ambition. No more prisons. Hit delete. Abolition is the mission. These conditions, the receipt. No surrender, no retreat. Always fight until we free, till we free. I just need to breathe. Why not let us be? I just want some peace. Should be loving me. I just need to breathe. Why not let us be? We just want some peace, followed up with equity. Black is beautiful, don't you forget. Not disputable, come with respect. My melanin, beautiful, what you expect. Black is beautiful, don't you forget, don't forget. Angela Davis stated in Freedom is a Constant Struggle. The very existence of the prison forecloses the kinds of discussions that we need in order to imagine the possibility of eradicating these behaviors. Just send them to prison. Just keep on sending them to prison. Then, of course, in prison, they find themselves within a violent institution that reproduces violence. The majority of people who are in prison are there because society has failed them. Imprisonment is increasingly used as a strategy of deflection of the underlying social problems. Racism, poverty, unemployment, lack of education, and so on. Did you know that black men only make up 6.5% of the U.S. population, but 40% of the prison population? If these statistics are shocking to you, I encourage you to watch the Netflix documentary 13th. This documentary comments on the fact that the current prison system is just a loophole in order to enslave African-American individuals. Did you know that 366 1,121 
prisoners have tested positive for coronavirus, according to the Marshall Project, there have been at least 98,000 cases of coronavirus reported among prison staff. However, the number of infected prisoners most certainly is higher. Did you know that most prisoners have no access to coronavirus testing, masks, and hand sanitizer? Prisons have become hot spots for coronavirus, and it is an issue that no one is talking about. Just to remind everyone, the Eighth Amendment of the United States Constitution prohibits cruel and unusual punishment. Is keeping inmates from accessing essential personal protective equipment during a pandemic not cruel and unusual punishment? According to the Marshall Project, the infection rate in prisons is more than four times as high as among people on the outside around the nation. They report that in some states, the infection rate for prisoners is more than 10 times as high. To make matters even worse, individuals are not tested before being released from prison, which means that halfway houses and re-entry programs are overwhelmed. In a pre-COVID world, about 600,000 people return home from prison annually. Now, some states are releasing people in the masses to combat COVID-19 spread, but they're not taking proper testing protocols. These released individuals oftentimes have to travel hundreds of miles using public transit. This without a doubt increases COVID infectivity rates around the country. Now, I want to preface this interview by explaining that we really couldn't do anything about the background noise in Banu's prison. Because of that, certain parts of what he is saying may not be clear. I tried my best in my amateur podcasting to edit the background noise, but there's only so much that can be done from a prison cell phone. I encourage you to not just skip over the parts that you cannot hear on the first go. I encourage you to listen to the episode, specifically my conversation with Banu over and over again until you hear everything that he says. As a black man in prison, he deserves to have his voice heard. I encourage you to not overlook the fact that the background noise that you hear is composed of the screams of black men. Here's a quote from black American historian and poet Abrajani. It becomes more and more difficult to avoid the idea of black men as subjects of not just racial profiling, but of an insidious form of racial obliteration sanctioned by silence. The issue, perhaps, boils down to one of how perceptions or misperceptions of racial difference impact various individuals or groups of individuals' experience of freedom in America. Some would argue that it goes beyond hampering their pursuit of happiness to outright obliterating it. Can you hear me? You there? Okay, I got my headphones on. Okay, so um, oh, you've already record. You're already recording. Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I figured out like I was watching YouTube videos before. Figure out the best way to record it. Um, I'm just gonna use the audio. I'm not gonna use any video. If you do turn your video on, which you don't have to do. Um, but hi, I'm Ashley. <laughs> nice to meet you, Ashley. I'm Benu. You said your name is Benu? Yes. 
All right, word, word. Uh, I'm the founder of Free Alabama Movement, uh, also the executive director of the initiative we're rolling out right now called the National Freedom Movement. Uh, it's a nationwide building agenda that we're working on to connect the men and women on the inside. Uh, we feel like we have to build, be connected uh, in this fight that we're in. So uh, that's what the National Freedom Movement is doing. Uh, we're trying to build that alliance uh, around the United States to 2.5 million strong. Wow, that's super impressive. Do you want to share where you're located? Uh, I'm currently incarcerated in the Alabama Department of Corrections. Uh, this is my 22nd year of incarcerated. I was wrongfully convicted in 2001. Uh, I have been fighting for justice and fighting for my freedom uh, ever since then. I've kind of like given up on justice. I realize it doesn't exist. So right now I want my freedom back and there's nothing that they can do to make this just. Being separated from my family, uh, separated from my then wife, my children who were seven and four at the time, everything that I've missed that I'll never be able to replace, there's nothing that they can do to render justice to me. That's why I say I'm fighting for my freedom now because prospect for justice have long since passed by. Do you feel like part of the reason why justice doesn't feel attainable is because it's mostly controlled by white folks? Yes, it's controlled by the system and it's not just white folks. And you didn't say that, you said mostly, and I agree with you, yes, it's mostly controlled by white people but it's 100% controlled by the, the idealism and ideology of white supremacy. So whether they're black people, brown people, uh, whatever other ethnicities or race or whatnot that occupy those spaces, uh, the only way they'll be able to get to the upper echelons and the control centers and power centers uh, is if they adhere to uh, the ideology, which is white supremacy. That may not be the way that it's presented to them, uh, but ultimately in its expression, that's exactly what it is. Would you be interested in talking about the wrongful conviction? You don't have to if you're not interested. Yeah, it's no problem. I profiled my case. Uh, it's not possible to talk about the entirety of the case. Right. Another Black man was convicted in the Black community, and um, they arrested a guy, and they picked him up, and this guy ultimately became the state's uh, witness that testified against me and implicated me in the crime. After turning state witness, uh, when he got on the witness stand, he denied having any kind of deal or anything in place with the state. Uh, we found out that he did have a deal in place. He committed perjury on that point, got uh, murder charges dismissed against him, and they gave basically gave him his freedom. Also, he testified that I murdered this guy with a nine millimeter handgun. Uh, the state withheld ballistics memorandums from over, for over two years. Uh, we were able to subpoena those ballistics memorandums from the Department of Forensic Science. We found out that this man was actually murdered with a 380 caliber weapon. Uh, they never told us the, the, the victim in the case. His original death was ruled asphyxiation. They told us that they had received new information. They went and exhumed the body, got a second pathologist, got a second death report, second autopsy report, came back with a second indictment. I learned the day that I went to trial that I was being tried on a whole different indictment for a gunshot and the second pathologist came to trial, but neither the first autopsy report or the first autopsy report were admitted in the evidence. The first pathologist did not come to trial. I was able to reach him after trial. He provided me an email statement uh, explaining the misconduct by the second prosecutor and told me that basically they manipulated the cause of death. And these are his words, not mine. I have these documents to substantiate that. So those are just some of the things that went on in the wrongfulness of my conviction. In a nutshell, that is what it is, but there's nothing spectacular about my case. Uh, people are being released around the country every day uh, for the prosecutors and stuff, falsifying testimony, such as witnesses having deals that they deny. 
or in the, in the scientific realm of evidence, ballistics memorandums. They're charging people with committing um, murders with different type of murder weapons or different type of methods. And then we find out later that they withheld exculpatory or information that would have exonerated people. So those are just some of the things that I'm going to fight for my freedom. Right. And these are some common themes that we see in other cases. Um, I'm really sorry that this this has happened, but I'm happy to have you on the podcast to share your story and hopefully get the word out there. So I definitely appreciate you for being here. I wanted to talk to you about coronavirus in prisons. I know that we had talked earlier and you had mentioned that the situation was really, really bad and that you didn't have access to proper PPE. I was just wondering if you could talk about how your institution has handled the pandemic or not handled the pandemic. They were not prepared then and they're still not prepared now. And I think they've made a decision, an economic decision that we are disposable human beings. And so they're not going to invest and make the economic um, commitment to PPEs, to cleaning supplies. They're not going to change the way that these plantations are ran. And uh, we're feeling it, we're seeing it. Um, people are not aware of the dire consequences that we are facing inside uh, with COVID-19. Um, I mean, just from a basic educational standpoint, I mean, we still know very little about it. They'll put out one or two little notices, memorandums, but we don't have the resource material we don't have access to the internet. We don't have the ability to really research and understand. Uh, and also, um, from a dietary perspective, our bodies are already malnourished. Uh, we don't have the, the dietary supplement. You can't purchase it on the canteen. Alabama is probably one of the worst uh, systems as far as us having access to, to um, nutritional alternatives. Like, we still don't have a, a religious menu in the state of Alabama where you can get kosher meals or you can get vegan meals or you can get vegetarian meals. These are things that I have been advocating for had not been able to take them into court simply because there are so many other issues, but those are just some of the issues that we don't, we don't have basic, you know, just basic nutrition to even have a healthy body. So our bodies are already injured and damaged when we come into contact with COVID-19 um, from the environment that we're in. And, you know, we can talk about COVID-19, but the environment that we were in even before COVID-19, it already has been ruled uh, unconstitutional in violation of the Eighth Amendment. And uh, the COVID-19 only made it worse. I was wondering if you could talk about sanitation in the prison before COVID and during COVID. I have a YouTube channel from the organization, the first organization that I mentioned, Free Alabama Movement. And if you go on YouTube and look under Free Alabama Movement and you scroll down, some of these videos I released in 2013 and 14, and you'll see the conditions for yourself. You know, you don't have to take my word for it. You can look and see, you'll see spider webs, rust, you'll see filth, you'll see trash. And it's in, it's, it's in multiple videos. Like I was able to go inside of the, um, of the kitchen area. And while we were in there filming, and you will see the trash right there around the food, just a colony of rats just ran by. Um, inside of the dorms, I'm showing people the infestation of the roaches, the rats, and just everything that goes into living in these environments. Like I, I showed a cob where it was probably about 30 foot long that went around the whole ceiling of the dorm because they hadn't pressure washed in years and that stuff had just built up, um, showing dust buildup, mold, mildew, uh, black mold in the showers, and, in our living spaces and stuff. I mean, 
the Alabama prison system, and, and every system is not like this. All of them are bad, but down here in the South, I mean, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find something worse than what we're going through from just a condition standpoint. Um, we connected with um, organizers in other prisons around the country. In 2016, we had a um, national prison strike. It was the largest uh, prison strike in US history. We organized in over 20 something states, over 40,000 people participated. And people in other states, when they saw our videos that we were using to promote the campaign to educate the public, they were even in shock. They was like, wow, it's bad, but our conditions are not like that. So, I mean, the conditions vary from place to place, but here in Alabama, you know, um, this is um, a subhuman standard by a long mark. Right. And are you comfortable with people going to your YouTube channel and watching those videos? Are they public? There's about 200 of them on the channel that are already public. They've okay. been around for years. And so, um, yeah, this is this for anyone to consume. Just um, like I said, I have a catalog probably about 500, 600 something videos. Um, you know, just to pat myself on the back, I want to have, I, I say this and not in no competition with none of their brothers. And I would love for brothers to get in competition with me on it. <laughs> but I want to have the large, I want to have the largest video catalog by a person who's incarcerated in the world to show these conditions. But I'd be happy that if someone wants to come and try to knock me off of that, to come on and do it because we have to get this information out. People have to see in order to understand because they can listen to us, but they can't feel us. They can't just, you know, you, it, it just doesn't, it, it's so far removed from the reality of the propaganda of what people think prisons are like that they can't, it's, it's inconceivable. And so these videos brings them closer to the reality. And this is what inspires and moves people. And we were able to inspire people around the world. So for the folks that aren't able to watch the YouTube video or want some context of what's in the YouTube video, can you talk specifically about what the prison has failed to do in regards to handling the pandemic? Um, the first thing that they failed to do is to address the fact that we can't socially distance. Um, you saw the videos, you see we're sleeping within a space of six feet, um, upwards of eight human beings occupied that space. Before the pandemic, the Alabama prison system was the most overcrowded prison system in the nation. And it was by a long margin. We have some prisons that are over 300% occupancy. Um, the prison system at a whole is almost 200% occupancy. And so they have not alleviated the overcrowding. So they have not given us the space or the air to breathe, you know, and without that space and without that air, you cannot control a disease like this that's airborne and spreads the many different ways. Like they're not passing out the mask like they're supposed to. We're not getting the best of quality. But in addition to that, you're talking about an environment where the drug epidemic inside of the prisons is worse than the pandemic, if you ask me. Right. And and, and I say that for this reason. A drug, a drug addict, when he's on these drugs around here. If he's got a mask, he's gonna sell it. You know, he's not gonna bathe. He's 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 just running around. He's only led by his addiction. He's not gonna wake up thinking about who he's gonna transmit this damn virus to, and he's just spreading it all over the place. And so the drug epidemic, with the the addictions levels, and I'm not talking about no weed. I'm talking about fentanyl, heroin, ice, meth. Uh, this drug, this prison drug, Flocka, that's literally killing people. It's kind of like off of the bath salt 
in that line of drug. And this stuff is just, it's every prison system in the country, people have probably saw the wigging out videos. It's shocking to hear that people are being forced to sell their masks. Do you guys have any access or availability to multiple masks, to hand sanitizer, to wash your hands freely whenever you want? Um, hand sanitizer is uh, something that does not exist. So you guys are having to rely on donations from churches and local organizations as opposed to getting hand sanitizer and stuff like that from the actual prison system and from the government. That's right. We're part of a coalition and, I, and we were on the call. And one of the guys on our blog talk radio show has suggested that we um, reach out to the churches and stuff, the faith-based communities, and ask them to donate that stuff. And so we went on there and we did it. And one of the coalitions and people picked up on it and they started getting all of the stuff. And so we were telling them like, hey, because in Alabama, the first the first location that was providing the uh, testing was were the churches. Wow. And so, and the, one of the churches who was doing the testing, we was telling, they were a part of the prison ministry. And so we were telling our coalition members to reach out to them and tell them that we wanted them, since they were already approved as part of the prison ministry, to come back in and distribute this stuff. Well, you know how it is when you're dealing with these nonprofits who are some of them a part of the problem. When they reached out, they didn't reach out, they reached out to the Department of Corrections. And the Department of Corrections told them, well, we don't want y'all to deliver it prison to prison. Just bring it to us and we'll we'll spread it out. We might have saw 25% of the stuff. We heard about all of it. We saw some of it, but the volume of stuff that the churches were telling us they donated and what we actually received, it just didn't add up. Right. I was reading online that a lot of the protection in this pandemic, as far as like access to testing, access to supplies, it's going towards the enforcement officers in the prison and not actually the prisoners. Do you feel like that's true? I mean, like, I don't know, because like, we don't know what's, we don't know what's out there. We don't know what we're supposed to be getting. We don't know what they're getting. So it's hard for us to say the only thing we can say is that, you know, we're not getting anything. So and the officers are walking around here like they don't wear masks. They don't, uh, you know, they, 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 they had a, when they, when it first started, they had something where they were saying that the officers were being told that if they have a temperature of a certain degrees, then they would be turned around. But we found out that it was another officer and not someone who was even medically trained who was doing the test. They were standing up there. There was not nurses down there. There was not an independent person down there doing that. So, I mean, none of this legitimate. On paper, everything looks great. Um, the reality is that, um, you know, we don't know who's getting what. The officers are not required. It's not mandatory that they get a test. So they don't even make them test. But they know that if we got it on the inside, that the officers are the ones that are bringing it in here to us. So with this being a state facility and it being a vital institution, we think that, you know, it should be mandatory that officers get tested and they're not doing that. So, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's unrealistic to think that the only ones that are gonna get the testing are the ones who self-report symptoms or who self-report that they've been in contact with something. And then to think that that's gonna solve the problem, that's, that's just not realistic. Is there any way that people on the outside can help you? Um, I will definitely share your cash app, but I was wondering, are we able to send 
you guys any PPE? As far as I know, I think the answer is no. Wardens make decisions on an institution-to-institution basis. If you get in touch with a warden and tell them what you're trying to do, I can't say what they may or may not allow you all to do. But just, you know, just as a matter of course, I mean, there's nothing really even the people on the outside can do to help even when they want to help, you know, because the system is like, uh, we don't need that stuff. Or I don't know what their response, I don't know what they are telling people when people are calling. But I know we don't have this stuff in here. Like the first, the first go around, we were trying to get sanitized. They were telling people, oh, well, you can't get an alcohol-based sanitizer because we don't want them to get alcohol because they'll try to make some whiskey out of it or something like like they think that we think of ourselves the way they think of us. Like they don't think that we would take it seriously and to use the sanitizer for the purpose that it was delivered to us. They just immediately think that we're gonna do something stupid with it. But they turn around and send us to the industries and we have to make this stuff for everybody in the free world. You know, we're making it for all the prisons, they're, they're making it for government agencies. We're making this stuff for them, but we don't even have access access to it ourselves. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying before about how you guys are seen as disposable humans or not even humans at all. And so that really impacts your quality of life directly. And even when people want to help you out, whether it's the churches, whether it's other volunteers that want to send you stuff, it's really, really hard for you to obtain these things being able to keep your hands clean and to have a mask in a pandemic is a human right. And so I think this is really important that you're sharing your story because it's really showing that prisoners' human rights are being violated, which I was already aware of. But in the context of this pandemic, I think a lot of people are not aware of. I think this is like really, really important. And I just thank you again. You did mention to me before that the Black population is somehow at higher risk within the prisons, at higher risk of getting COVID. Could you explain that? First off, we're over-prosecuted and we're over-incarcerated and we're over-represented inside of the prisons. And we already know that this is because of systemic issues of racism in this country. So that's the first reason why, because we're already here in the first place for this reason. Um, in Alabama, um, Black people make up the majority of people in the prison system. And then they have prisons where we're the majority in those prisons disproportionate to the overall population. And that's because they overcharge us and over sentences, which means when we come into the system, we go to the maximum security camp. And those are the back end facilities. But when you have white people coming in, they're not charged as severely, they're not sentenced as severely then they're eligible for the, the, the lower level prisons, the, the work releases, the community centers, the level threes. And so there's an imbalance there. And so with us already being the overwhelming majority and we're concentrated in these different areas, like these prisons have the least amount of access even to sunlight, you know? And so like, even in a facility where there, there's, there's, there's a semblance of a racial balance, which there isn't one except for the new um, maximum security prison because they just made it a maximum security prison. Prior to that, it was an overwhelmingly white prison and there's no way that you should have an overwhelmingly white prison system in a system that's overwhelmingly black. But that system, that prison limestone had the most resources. It had the best, you know what I'm saying, of whatever you needed as far as rehabilitation outside support. And so on the back end in these maximum counts, like, in the solitary confinement units and the statewide units, almost every last one of them, if you do a, 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 a check today, almost every last one of them 
is at least 85% black. Some of them are 90, 95% black. And so they got us concentrated in a lot of small space, like solitary confinement. There's nowhere to go. There's no way out, you know, and um, there's no exercise. Like we haven't had exercise in months. We're supposed to get exercise one hour a day. We haven't had exercise in months. I mean, literally months. And so we don't have fresh air. We don't have anything. And we're all back here. So even if there are some white people in the prison, disproportionately in these areas where the time is the hardest, where we, they, they don't allow us to even have all of our hygiene product. We can't make canteen, but once a month, some people even less than that. And so we, and you can't get healthy foods and food options and stuff like that. So it's just one compoundment after another of already a bad situation in the unit I'm in. It's like a 24 man unit. There's two white people on this unit across the hall, 24 man unit. There's less than two or three white people down the hall. So we're just here and everywhere. And these are the worst places because we have the least amount of resources. You know what I'm saying? People have the most amount of time. You've been in a prison the longest. Your, your family support and stuff is just not able to sustain itself. And um, over time, you know, people just coming up dead. We coming up short. Right. Could you um, describe to me, you said that you had some experience where somebody died. Could you explain that? Because we didn't go into that earlier. Yeah. Um, this prison for a long time was like, this is where they were sending people to die. And so uh, people started dying and stuff. And so like before we knew we were just looking on the news and seeing the little, oh, COVID, 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 China, this and that. Like, there was like two or three people that like, Henry Neal, that's one of the names I remember. And another guy named Ahmad, like, these are people we had been around and they were relatively healthy. Um, they were older. And uh, like one morning we woke up, um, Eddie Neal was dead. And everybody was in shock because he was a respected elder. And people was like, he's dead. And he was just working out. He walked the track every day. He'd do this and that. And um, I was doing some filming, doing an interview. And I brought him in to be a part of the interview, interview process, the documentary we were making. And all of a sudden, he was dead. So it was just like, you know, wow. And then we woke up. And, and then I slept in a dorm. And we woke up one morning, and the guy was dead. And he had been dead. And like, no one even knew, like, there are COVID deaths that people don't even know are COVID-related because we can't think of any other reason or even any other time when people were just dying suddenly like that, at that pace. And then, so then they finally caught up that, you know, this COVID thing was here, it was real, and it was killing people, and people were just terrified. And I mean, people are still terrified because we know that the deck is stacked against us as far as our survival in here. And so people just start dying, you know, and then like now it's every day we know that COVID is killing and two or three died a day, two or three died a day, or 80 people got moved today. We just found out that yesterday, like 50 some people got moved from a work release yesterday because of a COVID outbreak. And it's not even on the news. So I mean, it's just, you know, the government is covering it up. No one cares, no one's paying attention. And um, the only way it's going to get out is for people like myself to, to, to make that sacrifice. And, you know, it comes with a sacrifice. Um, I had lost a charger, a, a regular charger, just like for this little basic phone, $150 is what they charge it for. A cell phone, like this cell phone maybe costs $35, $40 at the store. 
we're paying five, six, seven hundred dollars for it. That's the market in prison because the system has made them illegal and made them difficult to get. So if you want one, you got to pay for it. And I take mine and you saw the videos you see, they're going to see on the YouTube channel. There's no other way that this thing can be of value to me if I don't use it in the fight for freedom. They call them cell phones. We call them freedom devices because this is how we fight for our freedom. And so without these, no message is coming out. It's only going to be the, the message of the state. And the state's message is not true. You know, you cannot believe what they're saying. This is a, this is a humanitarian crisis, and we're paying the ultimate price. People are dying every day because of it. We know how they treat us and especially how they treat us in prisons when they're in a position of power, um, which actually in all aspects of life, white people are in a position of power. But especially, you know, once you're in jail, you're so isolated from the rest of society. And it's like, how do you get your voice out there? Um, so I just think that it's like it's this really messed up situation because they just throw people into cells and then they think it's supposed to rehabilitate or get them straight. And it's just like, you're putting people in terrible conditions um, and that are not conducive to like good mental health and to rehabilitation or restorative justice in any way. And so it's just honestly another form of slavery. It's straight up slavery. And uh, they don't think that putting us in these cells is gonna rehabilitate us. They know that it's not gonna do that. They know that putting us in the cell is only gonna accomplish one thing, that's bring money to their pocket. They don't even think about no rehabilitation or none of that. They could care less about it, you know what I'm saying? These are slave plantations, uh, plain and simple, you know? And um, I also wanted to add, I don't know how, how to know, I wanna make sure I plug this in. Um, for two years, um, I had started an underground blog talk show called The People's Platform, where we were on the blog talk radio show we have archives of that on the blog talk network under free alabama movement but we started it back working with a group called abolition today uh it's ran by max parthis um and we're on every thursday night seven o'clock p.m central standard time and all of the hosts uh are people who are incarcerated we do invite people on you can come on and press one and speak you can view it online uh, we'll be online tonight um starting at seven o'clock central p.m but we use social media platforms. We have a Twitter, we have a Facebook, we have an Instagram, um, we have a WordPress blog, we're getting a website. We're, you know, we're doing everything we can while we can to get the message out. Because if we don't get the message out and show people what's really going on, you know, we're dealing with a situation right now where we've been dealing with a prison where they've been brutalizing and beating and murdering people since it's been around. And we just had another incident this Saturday, a very high profile activist and a couple of more guys were like savagely beaten. I'm talking about head busted in multiple places, broken bones all in their face. Um, one of them, both of his hands are broken. Just one type of injury after another, teeth knocked out all the way at the root, um, ribs, just everything. And so we've been fighting against this kind of stuff. And these people are doing this despite the fact that they're currently under federal investigation. There's currently a federal lawsuit against the entire prison system. The Alabama prison system is in the spotlight unlike any other prison system right now. And they're still beating people to death. They beat three people to death last year. And they're off to this same kind of start this year. They're beating people to death. Okay, yeah, Jesus. What is healthcare like in prison? Do you have access to healthcare? Do you get access to 
yearly annual physicals? Do you get access to healthcare when you're sick or when you need help? Um, if, if, if people are familiar with these private prisons, then they know that healthcare is a for-profit business too. And in prisons, you, you know, it's no different. They cut back on services. So like, I mean, just people have to be realistic and understand the state does not want to pay for our healthcare anyway. And so what we're getting is like, you know, there's so many stories of guys who went up there, oh, take a couple of Tylenol, they go back and die in their bed because they have massive heart attacks or something like that. I mean, you're supposed to, like, if I'm going through an issue right now, I'm in a dorm where there are no offers. So if I'm going through an issue right now, we've been on this call for almost an hour. We haven't ended the call yet. I don't know if you noticed that, but we haven't ended the call yet. So they let you know that at least in the last hour, if I was on the floor dying, I'd be dead because no one's came by to check on me in at least an hour. And so this may go on for a couple of more hours. And the healthcare, in order for me to get attention, I got to fill out what they call a sick call slip. They'll pick that up and they'll put me on the list for a triage screening tomorrow or something like that. You know, if I, if I get on the door and say I'm having chest pains or something like that, then under law, they're required to get me out. But even if even in doing that, like, how I'm going to get up and get to the door to say I'm having chest pains if my chest pains have debilitated me or incapacitated me and I can't move because they're not coming around doing any checks. Like, we're just in here. You know, we're in here. We're fending for ourselves. And uh, you just got to hope that the universe is going to take care of you until you can get to a, a better place. So you're basically saying that you can't rely on the healthcare system at all and you can't rely on people to actually listen to your symptoms or even like attend to them in a fast manner? No, no, no. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. Like, I mean, you know, you may see a doctor. Most of the time we see nurse practitioners like for you to actually get in front of a doctor, you know, you're going to have to hold, have a I don't even know how to see a doctor. I'm just say because if you got holes in your body, they're gonna send you out in the ambulance. You can go to the free world doctor, but how do you actually see a doctor inside of a prison? Like, I don't know exactly what you would have to do. Maybe if you have some kind of long-term serious thing like a heart issue or something, and maybe have you seen a cardiologist or something like that. But I don't know if those people come to the prison or if you have to go out to see them. And mind you, I've been in prison 22 years. I've worked in the infirmary, and I can't tell you exactly how to actually get in front of, like, I can't just say, well, I need to see the doctor for this. I can't go up there and see the nurse and say, well, I want to see the doctor because there's not a process for you to say, I want to see the doctor. They'll let you know if you need to see a doctor or not. Basically, what you're saying is it's extremely hard for you to be able to advocate for your health. Right, right. What I'm noticing from this conversation is literally every aspect of freedom has been taken away from you. So even I think a lot of people think, oh, well, within prison, they get to exercise, they get to, um, you know, get packages as they would like, they get to wash their hands whenever they would like, they get to go to the doctor. And it's really not the case. And I think not enough people are really talking about this. And it's really inhumane. And it's nobody deserves that regardless of what reason that they're in jail. And the whole foundation of this country is supposed to be based around freedom. And it's also supposed to be based around the fact that there shouldn't be any imprisonment that is absurdly harsh or brutal or inhumane. Yet we see this 
all around the country and especially in the South and especially we see this treatment towards Black inmates. That's really all the questions that I had, but I was just wondering, is there anything else that you want the public to know about the prison system and about the COVID-19 pandemic in the prison system? Um, just want people to know that, you know, if you're concerned about the issue, you have to be in touch with the people on the inside. You cannot be concerned about the issue and calling your politician, calling this and that, because these people in actuality, they make money off of the system too. Like the general fund, which is where a lot of the money that they make off of us, whether it's from phone calls or the free labor contract or the work release deductions, that money is taken by the DOC and put into the general fund. The general fund pays their salary. I wish I could turn this camera on. I want, I'm gonna turn it on see if you can see. Yeah, I see. None of them got on masks. They're reporting the work. Not a mask in sight. Bring it with them. We're fixing to be exposed to it, whether it's a new strand or old strand. And you can tell the audience what we just did. We just turned the camera on to the outside as a group of officers were coming in uh, to report to their shifts, and none of them have on masks. They're coming back here to my unit. So this is what I'm fixing to be exposed to as soon as they punch in on the clock. Now, what I'm going to be exposed to, I don't know. But I don't have any defense against it. I don't have sanitizer. I don't have bleach. I don't have uh, N95 masks. You know, I, I've got, um, all I've got is, uh, I, I just, you know, I, it, it, it's the ancestors. That's all we have. You know, we have, we have, we just have what, life gives us because man ain't giving us anything the only thing we have is uh what we can get out of life you know what we can get out of the universe because the system or man is not giving us anything to protect ourselves we have to rely on the universe that's all we have we don't have the other necessities that they say we need in order to stay alive so um it's just a, you know it's just like a it's just a, it's a situation that I really wish people would, I, I wish people would make, more, pay more attention to it, but I understand why they don't, because there's no access. There's no way to get in touch with the system. There's no way to, 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 to be active because there's no access. You know, we don't have cameras. Reporters can't come in. What we're doing right now is they don't want us doing it. They don't want people talking about this stuff. They control and monitor this stuff. You find a way around it. They come in with, you know, extreme consequences. But I understand that the consequences of not doing anything are worse than the consequences that I'm going to be subjected to for doing something. So it's better for me to do something. It's better for me to expose. It's better for me to, to secretly record videos and get information out. Like I secretly recorded a warden and a captain because they were the ones that run the prison. And I pulled up on them and I was talking about living conditions and how we need to clean the supplies and stuff. And when people go on our YouTube channel, I uploaded those videos so people can see that these people don't care. And this was a black warden and a black captain. The prison I'm at now has three black wardens, two out of the three captains are black. The majority of the lieutenants are black and about 60 to 70% of the officers are black. So it's not just, uh, all of our problems are not just with, you know what I'm saying, it's not, we have a problem with the system. 
and people are coming in being a part of the system and not um, remembering that you know this system has this system has not been kind to black people since we've been over here Right. And the system was built by white folks. But I think it's really important that you note that there are a lot of black folks that are actually working in these prisons. I guess. How do you feel about that? Does it kind of hurt in a different way to see black folks treat you the same way white folks do? Yeah, because um, one of our teachers, his name was Mafundi Lake, Richard Mafundi Lake. He was a black panther. He was a political prisoner for a long time. The government set him up during like the on the on the backside of the COINTELPRO process where they were locking up our activists and whatnot. And they used one of our own people to um, incarcerate them. And so there's case law, like they were fighting in the 50s and 60s against real Ku Klux Klan who had these jobs and they were beating them to death. They were taking them out in the woods, murdering them, just straight up slaughter. And, um, you know, no one cared. And they were fighting. They risked their lives. George Dobbins and other men gave their lives to get black officers into the system. And when the black officers started coming into the system, they didn't become humble white power and blackface. You know, it didn't even change. And so that was then, this is now. They came in in small numbers after the Civil Rights Act, but they were not supervisors and stuff. So it was like, okay, well, when they get to be supervisors stuff, now they control all of this stuff. They've been wardens, they've been commissioners, just um, one state over in Mississippi, they had a black commissioner. He's in federal prison now for what he was doing to our people who were incarcerated over there. We've had black associate commissioners and stuff here in Alabama. They've been fired uh, off the job for what they were doing to us. And we were the ones that exposed them. You know, Our movement started because of the oppression that we were being subjected to by a black warden named Carter Davenport. He's the reason why Free Alabama Movement came to existence. He was like, he was worse than Bull Connor. People saw the hose pipes and the guard dogs being sick on our people in Birmingham in the 60s. Well, he was unleashing these uh, death squads on us, these police officers with the mace. Instead of a fire hose, it was mace. And, you know, and it was still the club. We were getting clubbed and we were getting beat. And he was just, I mean, taking, 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 pressing, pressing, pressing. And we was like, hey, we ain't gonna survive like this. We gotta do something. And so that oppression gave birth to Free Alabama Movement. And this was oppression that was coming from a black man who was appointed and promoted by another black man, Grant Cullen. And both of those people have been forced out. We forced both of them out through organizing intensity um, over a several year period before we could make them understand that this movement was not going to go away. And eventually they were able to break the momentum and, and whatnot. But before they broke our momentum, we sent a clear message that we're here to fight to the end. And uh, we fought and fought and fought and fought. And the end has not arrived. We, we, we still fight. You know, we licking our wounds, uh, we, we regrouping, and uh, we rebuilding, but we constantly on the move. I promise that I will do whatever it takes to get this message out here. And I'll definitely. Um, look at the freedom movement I'll, I'll post links to the youtube stuff i guess the last thing i'll say is how can people get in touch with the movement and what you're doing so if you just want to share an email or a website or an instagram okay i'm getting my email and then my website built this process if anybody wants to help i really need help getting it getting it complete i need it i need some 
people who have high skills in that. Um, our emails, the National Freedom Movement, which is the national organizing initiative that I'm doing uh, to reach guys and women on the inside and to unify us. You know, I can't overemphasize that enough. We need help uniting on the inside. And so the National Freedom Movement, which is leading that, and we're building an alliance on the inside while at the same time building a network on the outside that'll be devoted to that. And only that because we meet a lot of outside organizations that do work in this area, but that's not their primary focus where we're building um, outside structure from the ground up that that's the only thing they're going to do. And we're going to get office space and we're going to get volunteers and we're going to get collect phone lines. We're going to get printers, copy machines, and we're going to print pamphlets and newsletters. And we're going to, it's not going to the street, it's coming inside of the prison to help us unify and send a unified message that we all need to come together and get involved in the struggle. In order to be a part of that, one national freedom movement at gmail.com. That's the number one national freedom movement at gmail.com. On the state side here in Alabama, you wanna get involved with what we're doing, you wanna help, um, freealabamamovement at gmail.com. And uh, you can find us on Twitter at freealamovement. Um, you can find us on, on Twitter for the National Freedom Movement at National, F-R-E-E-D-O, the number five. We ran out of space on the word, so it's just it, it's the number five in and out. And uh, just reach out to our supporters, you know, go to our PayPal, uh, give us some financial support, go to our cash app, give us financial support, um, help the movement, you know, but we're not going to be needy, uh, we're going to be men and we're going to be women, we're going to stand up regardless, but it makes the fight a whole lot easier uh, when we have resources to fight back with and uh, we need resources. Honestly, I thank you so much. Um, just let me know. I sent the cash app to you um, and I will post your cash app. I'll make a formal post on all of my social media, but yeah, I will definitely keep in contact with you. Okay. That's good. Thank you. And I appreciate you for extending your platform. No problem. Thank you so much again. I just want to clarify a few main points from that interview before we close this episode. Banu is an almost 50-year-old Black man who is wrongfully convicted of murder. Banu is reporting that access to coronavirus testing, masks and hand sanitizer, and even soap are not being provided by the federal or state government to prisoners. Prisoners are having to rely on donations from local churches. I feel like this highlights the importance of mutual aid groups in our community. To clarify, they had to reach out to prison ministry in order to get the materials that they needed to advocate for their own health. Saying black inmates matter is not enough. Prove that black inmates matter. Share this episode. Share the statistics that you learned today. Start to talk to people about COVID-19 in prisons and hold yourself accountable to spread the word. I'm not creating this podcast in order to listen to my own voice. I feel that people, especially Black and Indigenous people in this country, need to have their voices amplified. Racism extends beyond day-to-day microaggressions or even blatant expressions of racism. We need to unpack what systematic and systemic racism truly means. Let me put it this way. Nodding your head in conversations about racism isn't enough. Know the statistics. Share the facts. Amplify the voices of other people. 
This is not about identity politics. This is about life or death. This is not about being a scientist. This is about being a human and treating other people like humans. Our society has an issue with ignoring the ramifications of slavery and acknowledging that the prison system is outright slavery. The goal of this podcast is not just to start the conversation, but to push people to make the next step which is actionable change right now. Especially in neoliberal society, we tend to focus on just having the conversation, just having a diversity and inclusion seminar, just hiring somebody to be a diversity officer within our institutions. But that's not enough. Very few people genuinely talk about what comes next after we acknowledge racism. All we are doing is just continuing to ignore the systematic enslavement of Black people. I hope you keep listening to this podcast. I hope you share the things that you learn, and I hope that you recognize that this is not a cry for pity. This is not a sign of weakness. This is us telling you that we absolutely refuse to back down. We never have, and we never will. We have been fighting for hundreds of years, and we will not stop. And for the Black folks listening to this podcast, we need to stand together. The fact that we can listen to the story of Banu out of leisure or for education shows the immense privilege that we have. Banu is literally fighting for his life and fighting for his freedom. As he mentioned himself, the opportunity for justice is over. As Black people who are not incarcerated, we need to acknowledge our privilege, but we also need to acknowledge that we are enslaved by white supremacy. The reason why I know this is because so few people that speak on police brutality have actually taken the time to talk to an inmate. Part of acknowledging that privilege is that whatever differences we may have with each other are irrelevant when our brothers and sisters are in chains behind bars in a pandemic that kills us outside of prison at a rate 2.1 times higher than white folks. As Banu mentioned, we can talk about police brutality all that we would like, but if we are not having conversations with inmates and amplifying their voices, it doesn't serve much purpose truly. As Black people, we need to stick together. As Malcolm X once said, our unity shocked them and we should continue to shock the white man by working together. For everyone listening to this, Banu's cash app is F-A-M-A-R-M-Y. That is F-A-M-A-R-M-Y. Please consider donating money to this inmate. Reparation should not just go to individuals who you deem as docile enough or eloquent enough to deserve your money. Banu took a huge risk talking to me and we need to, as a community, brainstorm ways to help him. Please visit decolonizingscience.org to see sources for today's episode. The goal of this podcast is not to be your weekly standalone acknowledgement of racism. Put in the effort to continue your education based off of what you learn in these episodes. Follow at Decolonizing Sci on Instagram and Twitter. Email decolonizingsci at gmail.com if you're interested in speaking on the podcast or making recommendations for future episodes. 
Decolonizing Science is written and produced entirely by me. So please Venmo or Cash App Decolonizing Science to make future episodes and promotion possible. If someone you know is struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide, please visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org or call 1-800-273-8255.